been around for a while, you know that we have been going, taking the summer to go through the book of Ephesians. Um, and so whether you've been tracking with us or not, I want to invite you to open up to Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Um, and, and, you know, we always encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up right here. We believe this is the Word of God. We believe it is living and active and powerful, and that whenever we read it, uh, God wants to speak something to us, reveal Himself to us, and change our hearts and the world around us. So Ephesians chapter 5, if you need a Bible, put your hand up. We're calling this series Walk Worthy, and this is specifically part of the series is focusing on Ephesians 4 and 5. You know, the first half of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the revelation of the good news of the cross, and the latter half, chapters 4 through 6, um, Paul gets a little more practical. How does the good news of Jesus and his work on the cross change our lives? Because I believe God's goal for the Christian is not just change your life. It's that he, through what he's done on the cross, changes our life, not by our own works, but by his grace. We believe we have the best news in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus that anyone has in the whole world, and I believe it not only can impact every area of our life, but literally transform it. So we're looking at real issues and talking real about them with Paul uh, as we look at how the good news shapes these different areas of our life. And in this section, Paul has been talking about putting off the old man, who we used to be before Jesus, and putting on the new man. And so he goes into this list <clears throat> um, in Ephesians 4 that we've gone through of, of, of putting off falsehood and speaking the truth. He talked about putting off anger and loving one another and, and, and shutting down that deep-seated anger. He, he talks about no longer stealing, but not only working, but working to give is what the new man does. <clears throat> um, he talks about um, our words. The old man uses corrupt talk, but when we're in the new man, we use speech that build that builds others up because through Jesus, he built us up. And so as we look at, we're going to chapter five today, Paul is going to get into talking about the old man sins sexually and the new man walks in freedom of that. So we're going to talk today, what is, what is God's good news to us in the midst of sexual sin, and how do we walk in victory? So I know I said that phrase, and some of y'all are like, oh, great, this is the, the, the one I didn't sleep in for, and I'm here now, and I'm stuck. Um, some of you, because this is a real issue, some of you, um, when I bring that phrase up, you, you feel shame this morning. Some of you feel really beat up. Some of you feel in a place of being stuck. Some of us are afraid. If, if someone else knows where I'm at or where I've been or what's going on in my life, I don't know what they do. Some of us, we're maybe here kind of like, okay, I know it's wrong, but really what's the big deal with that? Some of us are like, have heard teachings on this before, and I've even heard teachings, I didn't feel like it worked for me. <clears throat> This is a real issue, and I'm thankful that uh, Paul doesn't just skirt around issues, but he, he speaks timeless truths, and this was as timely back then as it is now in a generation when 86 to 96% of people view pornography regularly. So this is a relevant issue 
But my goal today is not at all to shame us, but rather, yes, we're going to look at why it's important and get real, but we're also going to look at the good and amazing news for us. I think we're going to be amazed as we look at this passage, the revelation and actually the secret weapon that Paul is going to lead us to, to battle and overcome this. As we look at that secret weapon, it's going to show us how the enemy has power over us in this area, and then we're going to, he's going to show us how to use that secret weapon to walk in victory over us. So I think, yes, we're going to get real, but I think you're going to leave feeling encouraged and hopeful in this area, even if you felt stuck or heard messages there before. Um, of course, um, we will be talking about this. So if you have kids in the service, t- uh, 12 or 13 under, up to you. You can be sensitive. I know I would have probably taken my kids out just talking about this issue. That's totally up to you, but just want to make you aware. But I believe we're going to get revelation as we open up God's word today that's going to set us free. So I want to open up to chapter 5, and I'm actually going to start in verse 1, even though I, I briefly went over that last week, because I think it gives a kind of roots the rest of the passage here. Verse 1 of chapter 5, we'll start there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, I had to practice that word this week, Uh, covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We're going to hone in probably, especially in verses 3 and 4 here today. We're not going to make it through every one of those passages. Um, and so today, we're going we're gonna to stop by saying, what is the sin that Paul is specifically calling us to battle? Then we're going to look at um, uh, what is this secret weapon that Paul is going to give us today to help us fight this. And what that secret weapon is going to do, it's, gonna, it's going to expose the plan of the enemy that's got some of us stuck in this area. And it's going to give us a handrail and a tool to fight in the power of Christ. I'm, ex- I'm excited about this. So let's start just what, though, is he specifically calling us to battle? Uh, starting in verse 3, there's a number of terms. So let's start with sexual immorality. Now, that Greek word here is porneia. And this is a broad word meaning uh, just describing broad sexual sin. So he's saying, um, but, but all just general sexual sin must not even be named among you. That was interesting. I mentioned the Greek word there is porneia. 
I was thinking about it this week and also heard another sermon and it just made me think the, the porn industry literally named itself sexual debauchery. It literally, I mean, just shamelessly, this is what we're doing, this is who we are, this is what we're about, you know, uh, sites like Pornhub, just sexual debauchery hub. That's what this is. I mean, the enemy is just coming straight at. He, sometimes he's kind of sly, even though he's not always smart. He's coming straight out on this one. It's literally what it named itself after. Second word, uh, impurity. Now, this kind of refers to in, inordinate cravings. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's get bad. This, this stands for uh, just more of kind of a, a, a broader, kind of dirty moral behavior, especially often in a sexual sense. It's kind of, again, another broad word. Um, and this word, though, can also mean mixed. Mixed. So basically, Paul is saying here, let mixed behavior not be named among you. Where in one sense, we, we act here this way, but when no one is looking over here, we act this way. Now, Paul is saying, let there be no mixed behavior. Let it not be named among you. Covetousness is in there. It's like speaking of an inordinate craving or an inability to be satisfied with what we have. The word filthiness in verse 4 kind of is similar to impurity. Then crude joking is mentioned. And this is the idea of basically speaking about our words, that what's going on because we learned last week our words are the overflow of our heart, that our heart can be in a place that what quickly comes out moves quickly to discussing sexual jokes and, and, and sexual things and kind of taking it at a, at a humorous. And so what Paul's doing is he's going from general behavior all the way down to the heart level because our words overflow from the root of our heart. And so Paul's just not telling us to stop a behavior. He's, he's now speaking to the heart as he really is, kind of as we have, have dove deep into these passages. Let me just clarify, and I'm going to probably reinforce the different points. What Paul's not saying is sex is bad. Paul is not at all saying sex is bad. Uh, we believe we're made in the image of God, and God created sex uh, for a good thing, for two married people in the context of marriage to, to draw close together, to make babies, and actually glorify God from that place. So it is a good thing. I think some of us maybe, especially growing up in the church, maybe we've heard sex, 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 and, and we get to our wedding day and we're like, oh, no, this is a shameful thing. Absolutely not. What Paul is talking about is, is, is sexual activity outside his beautiful confines that he's created. And so Paul seems to think this is a big deal. He gives a strong exhortation to us in this area. Verse 3, he says, let it not even be named among you. Verse 4, he's like, I don't even want to get a whiff that this is going on. Strong language from Paul. Paul, by the way, wrote this, uh, this book of Ephesians. Then verse 4, he says, let there be no None of this activity. Verse 4 also says these things are out of place for the life of a believer. Um, verse 5 says the, the people that are, uh, the mark of, of um, people that are marked by these activities 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and by the way, I don't think he's talking about believers who are repentant and struggling against sin. I think he's talking about people that are not following God. And are, but the mark of this will be judgment that comes according to verse 5 and 6. So Paul thinks this is a big deal. God seems to think this is a big deal. And we look at our society today it is, whether it is actual sexual activity or pornography or, or, or something like that, it is rampant. As I referred earlier, 86 to 96, according to some statistics, of men view pornography regularly, and women now have caught up in that statistic is actually just under that. And what that or other activity is doing is, is isolating individuals. It is dividing families Scientifically, it has been proven that it actually rewires the brains. The images we take in again and again and again rewire the brain. And it not only rewires with images in our head, it actually rewires the way we view other people. We start to view women or men, the opposite gender, whoever, whatever we're looking at, we start to view those people as objects to consume rather than people to love. I've really had to kind of from the beginning just teach my son, hey, speeder men, look the other way. Because we give to women. We give to others, not steal from them and consume them. It trains us to be consumers of people rather than blessers of people. It changes the way we view people. It fuels human trafficking. Much of pornography around the world, especially internationally, is driven and fueled uh, by people who have been trafficked. <clears throat> and ultimately, for the believer, it zaps our God-given strength from being the people that God's called us to be and making the impact that God has called us to make. I believe possibly the number one issue facing the church in this generation is not whether we will be willing to go sacrifice for Jesus. The number one issue that could stop us, I believe, from living in our calling is this issue. It is so rampant in the church. And not that it automatically, it doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus per se, and not that the grace does not abound and the love of God does not abound, and we'll talk about that today, but it zaps our strength. Kills us in our heart. And I want to just say here at the beginning, I have lots of sympathy and compassion. It is very difficult in today's age not to live mixed as a believer. In a culture that no longer says much of this is a sin, it is difficult not to live mixed. In a culture where we have more access quickly and in secret at our fingertips than ever before, it is difficult not to live mixed. In a culture that says hooking up is the norm and if it doesn't seem to be hurting someone, it's not, it is difficult to, live, uh, to not live mixed. When movies are being put out, <coughs> put out on Valentine's Day, like, Fifty Shades of Grey or other movies and po pointing a picture and saying this is what love is and it's not real, it's, 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 it is seductive and, and, and fake, it is difficult not to live mixed. It is not easy to walk as a believer nevertheless here in Southern California where billboards and everything's coming at us abound. So 
plenty of compassion for all of us today because I would come to bet that almost every single one of us at one time or another has struggled in this area, myself included. And in the midst of that chaos, God's word speaks forward to us, calling us to be imitators of a loving, pure, heavenly Father who loves us in our sin, who loves the shame out of us, and cares for us, and when we receive that love, there is power over sin. God's word speaks and calls us to something better and to something greater and to the life of freedom that Jesus purchased for us. So I'm not going to belabor the effects of this anymore. I think much of us have seen it often in our own lives I'm going to move on now to the, the, the solution and revelation that Paul wants to unpack for us, I believe, in this passage. So what is this secret weapon that Paul wants to give us today, I believe, to fight this and to walk in, in victory? I, I honestly have read this book a lot. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've read it a lot the last months studying for this. Uh, I did not notice this until this week, and nor have I associated this thing with walking in freedom over sexual sin. And what is this thing? I want to look back at verse 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You might be like, as I was, thanksgiving. Like, what, what does that have to do with, with sexual sin? Are we talking about the holiday thanksgiving? You know, I like food. Thanksgiving. Why is thanksgiving just thrown into this passage here? I thought that was kind of... Interesting. But I think thanksgiving will make a little more sense when we dive into the thing that in our old man that it is conquering. Okay? So what is thanksgiving, right? Because Paul, in this passage, he's giving us what the old man does and what the new man does. So if the new man is thankful, what is it that thankfulness is killing and crushing in the old man? And I believe it's going to show us the root for us of some, why some of us are stuck in sexual sin. So we're going to go back again to our passage, verse 3, but, let, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. It's another strange word. Why would covetousness be in here with all these other words and phrases and the whole passage really being about sexual immorality? I believe the core of our sexual sin is covetousness and dissatisfaction. And I believe Paul's weapon, God's weapon, to combat sexual sin is thankfulness because the root of sexual sin is covetousness. Paul's weapon to combat sexual sin is thankfulness because the root of sexual sin is covetousness. So let me go back to our definition of covetousness here this morning and I think this is going to be actually helpful and expose the plan of the enemy in our lives. What is covetousness? It is an inordinate craving for what we do not have or what can't be ours at the moment. 
Another definition according to dictionary.com is this, to desire wrongfully or inordinately without due regard for the rights of other people. That that was interesting in light of the nature of sexual sin. We want something so bad that we are willing to disregard God's boundaries and the fact that that other person in the image or the other person we're with is God's child. We're disregarding. We want something so bad, we're just shutting that off in our life, in our mind, the truth. Ultimately, if I were to use the analogy that Scripture uses again and again, this analogy of shepherding here is God's huge portion for us. I think back to the garden. You know, God said, you can have everything in the garden. And there is one thing that you may not eat of. One thing. But you may have all this good stuff. And it is going to be awesome. And God's design was that we would walk with him in abundant life and have so much at our disposal. And they got stuck on the one thing and ate from the tree. Psalm 16 says this, God's boundary lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. God is a generous and good God to us. And so God has given us this huge space, regardless of our season of life, of of him, of him satisfying our deepest longs and needs, of, of God's promises over our lives now and in our future. God has given us According to as he sees fit, he's put us into a season of life, whether it is marriage, singleness, parent, uh, being a parent, a single mom, single dad, whatever that is. Uh, we have found ourselves in a, in a season of life that God is sovereign over, and we've also been enriched by God's blessings and gifts in our lives. But what covetousness says is this is not enough to satisfy to the core of who I am. I must go outside this boundary to be okay with myself and to satisfy the deepest longings of who I am. <clears throat> and so what it says is, at the core, to those of us who are married, maybe my, my spouse just isn't enough anymore. I know that, you know, uh, we've been busy and you know, just sex isn't what it was anymore, and, uh, you know, a little more wrinkles, you know, whatever. But my coworker, you know, I don't know, my spouse has been weighed down with work and kids, but my coworker understands me. My coworker listens to me, and my, I feel something that I haven't felt in a long time with this other person. Or maybe those of us who are single say, well, if I was married, then I wouldn't have these issues going on, you know, because then every need would be met all the time, whatever, which isn't actually how it is, you know, just have your needs met whenever you want all the time. Uh, your problems follow you in the next season, but does not negate the difficulty, but that's what I'm trying to do. But we, we, we think these things, and we find ourselves there, and, and, and even, I think, behind our sexual sin, I, I don't think we just choose logically, like, I think I'm just going to go outside the bounds today. I think I'm just, we wake up, and I'm like, I'm going to just sin sexually today. It's going to be great. Like, in my time with God, I'm like, God, I'm going to do this. No, I think we find ourselves there because we're anxious, we're alone, we're afraid, we feel out of control, and this is what we've gone to historically to feel in control and loved again. And so we're trying to put Band-Aids on things as a heart issue on a deeper level. 
And what Paul is taking and saying, no, no, I'm not just telling you to stop. I'm going to your heart, and he's going to give us the good news to have power over this thing. But what we're saying is if this not enough, and we need sex or sexual something outside the boundaries, that's what verse 5 says, covetousness is idolatry. We have, t- we have taken sex as from something that is good and made it God. That's what our culture has done. That's what our culture has affirmed again and again and again. For humanity to be okay, you have to have sex how you want it, when you want it, where you want it. And, and unless you can do that, you're not going to be satisfied in life. But let me tell you, sex is good, but it is a bad God. And you see the effects of it again and again and again in our culture. Our culture has been riveted by sex being made as an idol and a God because it was never meant to satisfy. It was only made to glorify. When I look at our culture, so many of our problems as a culture have come from this confusion. And we have been often deceived into thinking otherwise, thinking that this is the ultimate thing or the ultimate satisfier. And we are willing, just like whatever God we worship, we sacrifice and lay anything down at the altar so that thing can live. And we as a culture have worshipped this, worshipped this, worshipped this, and it has killed us. It has killed us as a culture. It has killed us as the church in America and around the world. And what's happening is, is deception. Verses 5, starting at 5, it says this. It has power of us because we're deceived. It says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and pure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. And with them could refer to other person and immoral sexual activity. It could be anyone that is trying to deceive you and is telling you that you need to go outside God's boundaries to be satisfied. Do not become partners with them. For at one time he used to be darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So therefore walk as children of light. And listen to this. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's the fruit. Walking in the light will satisfy us to our deepest desires of all that is good and all that is right and all that is true. And it's abundant. But we're deceived. You see, because we start to listen to deception, we're justified. Well, if my spouse, you know, had more sex with me or if they weren't so busy or preoccupied with kids or work or whatever, and i got to look out for myself. So I'm just going to go over here and do this. i got to get mine. Or, God, I've asked you to be married, and you know I'm a human being, and you gave me these desires I don't understand, so I'm going to have to go over here because you didn't deliver. Again, I say that with compassion because it is real, real life right there. And we've all felt that. 
Or just one last time, you know, I think God would understand, people would understand, it's been hard, I'm anxious and busy, just one last time and whatever, you know, it's not as bad as it could be, I've seen worse stuff on the internet, I've done worse stuff with people, I haven't really heard that, but it was mutual, it was consensual. And what's happening is the enemy deceives us from the middle of this over slowly to the fence. And what happens is we start to live our Christian life being deceived and dissatisfied, and we start to live on the fence. And we're just sitting in the fence with all of God's blessings and promises and presence behind us that we're no longer paying attention to, just staring at the other side of the fence, saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, bad, 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 bad. But I guarantee you, if you just spend time as a Christian sitting in the fence, just trying not to sin sexually, you've forgotten God's goodness. You've forgotten his presence. You've forgotten soaking in the truth of his scriptural promises. You've forgotten if you're married, if you're just sitting trying not to sin all the time, you've forgotten how good your spouse is. You've forgotten your kids. You've forgotten your future that God has ahead for you. You've forgotten God's grace. You've forgotten his provision. You've forgotten his goodness. The enemy's plan is to deceive us and to get us to forget those things and just stare looking at the other side of the fence. And we sometimes spend more energy staring at the other side of the fence than we do the face of Jesus. And we wonder why we feel stuck. I believe the root of covetousness is forgetfulness. The root of covet, if covetousness might be the root of sexual sin, I believe the root of covetousness is forgetfulness. We've forgotten God's goodness. We've forgotten his blessing. I know life may not be easy. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I believe the root of covetousness is forgetfulness of God and his promise. And when you feel constantly starved because you're not feeding yourself on the goodness of God and you're not feeding yourself on the word of God and the presence of God and remembering how even though life is hard and your marriage stinks at times and your kids scream at you or, or your, uh, you know, your friends are single, you know, whatever... We've forgotten and, and we, we, uh, we, we become starved on the inside. If we're not feasting on the right thing, we become starved. And so no wonder we're hungry looking at whatever will fill us. And so what happens, the enemy gets us in the corner thinking, oh, this is my little box. God, I, 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 God's with me, but I just can't sin. That's the goal of the Christian life now is to not sin sexually. We think God's, God is stingy. Absolutely not. Paul's uh, exhortation to us and secret weapon to us is thankfulness. We read this again, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper of the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving reminds us of how good this space is. Thanksgiving reminds us of how good God is. Listen, dissatisfaction drives us to deception and death. If you sit in dissatisfaction, it will drive you to dissatisfaction and death. But listen, 
Thankfulness thrusts us to where we can thrive. Thankfulness will thrust you off the edge of the fence. Thankfulness will thrust you straight out of the enemy's territory right back into the heart of God. Thrustfulness, thrustfulness. Thankfulness will thrust you. <laughs> some of you need to get some thrustfulness. <laughs> Come on, Lord. Thankfulness will thrust you to where you will thrive. As verse 9 says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. It is broad. The boundary lines for us have fallen in pleasant places because we have a good God. So let me just take a few minutes to work out how does thankfulness work itself out? How do we use this weapon in the power of the, of the cross? How does it work out in our lives? Number one, thankfulness drives us into a contrary and greater passion. Thankfulness drives us into a greater and contrary passion. Again, Paul is going all the way down to our words with addressing the sin in our heart. And he's also going all the way down to our words and how the new man works out in thankfulness. I forgot to give them these scriptures, so please read along with me and skip forward to verse 19 and 20. I forgot to give our awesome team, these scriptures, sorry. <clears throat> Verse 19 and 20, addressing one another. This is how thankfulness is to work out. Ephesians 5, verse 19 20, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's radical. Singing songs to one another. Making music in our heart. We're doing a series in the worship, on worship this fall, and I'm going to talk more about this. But, but the song that is going on in our heart will dictate how we live our lives. Singing and making music and melody in our heart to the Lord and giving thanks always. Giving thanks always and for everything. God, thank you for this pizza pizza today. I could have gone hungry. Thank you. I may not be married yet, but I have some good friends. Lord, thank you for my spouse. We're not everything we cracked up to be or dreamed we'd be, but thank you, Lord, because it's a bunch of good things. That's pretty radical, but our words are connected to our hearts, and when we verbalize thankfulness, even when we don't feel it, it trains our hearts to come into alignment with reality. So there are things in life that are so contrary to one another, they out, they out, one outdoes the other. Let me give you an example. In high school, uh, I grew up in the suburbs, but I tried to go on a real wild streak. I was dealing stuff and getting arrested and different things. And I would go to the movies and just pick fights. I carried a baseball bat, and I wouldn't get in fights. But listen... I couldn't drive yet. My mom drove a minivan. <laughs> so I'd be in these scenarios where I'm like, come at me, bro. You know what's up? I wasn't walking with Jesus yet. And here comes my mom. Whatever vibe I was putting off in that moment <laughs> just got completely crushed. <laughs> hey, bro, I got to go. My mom's here. And my mom has no need to make me feel cool in life. This is one thing. My mom loves me really well, but she has no need to, like, 
advocate for my coolness. So, you know, she's like, hey, Marky, you know, whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, whatever vibe I was putting off just got crushed in that moment, right? Listen, thankfulness verbalized. Verbalized thanksgiving and verbalized worship can crush the power of covetousness and lust for immoral sexual sin. You see, we try and fight sexual sin by self-denial only. More disciplined, I'm going to say no better, I'm going to try harder next time. But listen, God's primary goal for the Christian life is not sexual purity. Like, let me say it again. Some of us have literally made our walk with God about staying sexually pure. Like, that's what you wake up thinking about rather than thinking about him. Of course he cares about it. God's main goal for the Christian is Jesus. And if you get Jesus in every area of your life, and especially in this area, you're going to walk in power and grace and, and, and learn to walk in victory over time. So, God's desire is not only to give us something that is contrary so much so that it can squelch, but to actually give us a greater passion. So, how we fight is not just self-denial, although there's a part of that. We have to say no. But how we fight is through replacing our passion with the passion for Jesus through worship. There's something about verbalizing worship that just connects our heart. I woke up yesterday morning, opened Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And there's something about bless the Lord. I wasn't, improved, I wasn't impressing anyone, but I was impressing Jesus. Bless the Lord. And I would sing. It just connected my heart right away with the presence of God. So let me just use this illustration because God wants to give us a greater passion than the passion to covet and, and sin I heard this analogy from another pastor. Just bear with this illustration. If you, it's late in your house, it's quiet, you get on your computer, you're on your phone, you're looking at pornography, and, you know, you're doing whatever you do, and all of a sudden you just hear some rustling in your house. And you realize that someone with a gun has broken into your house. But you ain't done yet. And... <laughs> I'm just getting real. I'll just bear with this picture. What you're not going to do is just stay there. Like you will be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm about to die, you know. This could be bad. Your desire for safety in that moment is greater than your desire for that thing. Right? And we say, oh, I just want it so bad. I can't say no. What if you had a greater reality you were living for? Right? If you're just trying to say no, maybe you can't. But if you have a greater reality, there's power. I guarantee you, you cannot sing worship songs and sexually sin at the same time. I just, you cannot sing it. You can just try it, you know? Don't try it, actually. I, I, <laughs> Take that out of the recording. I did not say it. That was not scripted. Whew. 
Don't do that. Don't do what the pastor said. <laughs> All right, we're going to keep moving along. So, number one, God. <laughs> woo. Bless the Lord on my soul. <laughs> Thankfulness drives us into a contrary and greater passion. Number two, thankfulness reminds us what we're free from. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus, that I am not my actions. Thank you, Jesus, that I am not a sexual sinner. I'm a child of living God. Because that's what the good news of Jesus, that's what chapters 1 through 3 are talking about. You are pure. You're not a sexual sinner. You're not a sexual addict. You're not a cheater. You're not whatever. You are a child of the living God if you are in Christ Jesus. And that means you have power over that thing and you don't need to return to it anymore. And when you realize that, you start to grasp, not only that you don't have to go back, but you realize that it never really helped you anyways. Let me use a little illustration here. We're just having some fun today. I got my wallet here. <clears throat> Is anyone willing to exchange the cash in your wallet for my wallet? Any, any takers here? Just straight up? All right, hi. In the back. All right. Christian, this guy's a man. I see a card, bro. I mean, there you go. Hey, thank card. you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I didn't have anything either. I love you. I was going to give it back even if, uh, even if you had something. That was a little flat. But <laughs> So I thought I might trick someone because we talked about generosity a few weeks ago, according to what Paul said. And if he, so I thought someone maybe thought, you know, I'd be generous, but I was tricking you all. I had to keep you on your toes. I would have given it back. My point being that that is how sin, including sexual sin, works. We think all of a sudden something's going to be in there for me. I know it didn't work out the last times, but maybe, some, maybe something this time, maybe something good will be in there, you know. And what we do is we end up giving what we have and getting robbed in return. That is the nature of how this works. We give what we have and we get robbed in return. You see, it's a, it's a gambling bet you'll always lose when you try and play that game. That is the picture of sin, but thankfulness reminds us of where we're from and that what, and when we remember that, we remember what we could lose. That's why I oftentimes keep pictures of my wife and kids around me. That in the worst moments when I'm tempted, I say, no, 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 this isn't worth it. I start to remember the, the promises of God over my life. Because I'm like, no, 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 this is not my future, my wife, my kids. No, 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 no. Not worth it. No matter how enticing that promise looks, no matter what I think I might get out of it that time. No, 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 no. Which brings me to the next point, and make this quickly geared especially at married couples on this point. Thankfulness pushes us towards our spouse. <clears throat> Thankfulness pushes us towards our spouse. Now, this point is geared at married couples. Some of you singles may try and take this and run with it. You're like, thank you, Jesus. May I find myself a little closer. 
And there might be some truth in that because thankful people are typically more attractive than bitter people. Uh, but anyways, this point is specific geared at, at married couples. If you are sitting here consistent on the verge of sexual sin, I bet, and you're married, I bet you've forgotten how amazing your spouse is. Now, I know, I know they're not perfect. And by the way, you ain't perfect either. <laughs> if they put on a little weight, you probably put on a little weight too, you know? <laughs> you're putting on wrinkles alongside your spouse. I know life is busy, but you didn't fall in love because you hated each other. You didn't decide to get married because it wasn't working. There was a reason. You saw something in one another. You served one another. You provided financially for one another. You made meals for each other. You all serve. You have working hard. You've worked hard. Maybe kids have gotten in the mix and kind of made it messy. You're not sleeping and, you know, just, you know, sex life not happening as much as you wanted to anymore because of that. And there's kids screaming. It's chaotic. But your spouse is up serving the kids, and your spouse is up. And, and somewhere, if you're on the edge of the fence, you've forgotten. And the enemy's plan is to deceive you to forget how good and blessed you are in your spouse. Covetousness and sexual sin will cause us to jump and sow relational death and suicide. But thankfulness will cause us to sow seeds of life back into our marriage. You can't be thankful for your spouse and run away from them at the same time or have distance. So, man, I encourage you, when you start saying what you're thinking, I know there's things wrong with your spouse and there's things wrong with you and there's things wrong with me and my marriage too. But when you start to choose thankfulness for your spouse, it's going to catapult you back. It's going to push you back in towards your spouse. Now, Last point here, I know that thankfulness can be difficult at times because, to be honest, life is not easy. Some of us have have very difficult circumstances, and I'm not at all trying to minimize that. There's a reason why you're anxious. There's a reason why you're afraid. There's a reason why you feel dissatisfied right now. Life is hard. It's the nature of a fallen world. And so, not at all to minimize our difficulties, but rather to maximize who God is. I want to remind us that as Christians, our thankfulness is not rooted primarily in our circumstances, but our thankfulness is rooted primarily in our God. Because life will be hard. Life will not satisfy. Your spouse will let you down You'll be single longer than you thought or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Life is not always play out like the movies that we got sewn into when we were younger tell us they will. But thankfulness is not rooted in what we've done or not done. It's rooted in what he's done. So last point here before we wrap this thing up. Thanksgiving catapults us into the goodness of God. Now, he use that word catapult because it is ridiculous, but it's what it does. Thankfulness catapults us into the goodness of God. As I said, covetousness is rooted in forgetfulness. That's how its power has. But when we have power 
when we remember who our God is. Listen, he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Before the earth was, he was. Before we ever were, he was. He has no beginning and no end. Scripture said he's the father to the fatherless. He is good and forgiving. He puts the lonely in families. <clears throat> he is abounding in steadfast love to all who call him. And I, if you're sitting in shame today in this area, I want you to hear he's abounding in steadfast love to all who you might feel shame, but I'll tell you who your father is. He's abounding in steadfast love towards you to all who call on him. He's slow to anger and rich in love. Let me tell you what he's done. He made you in his image. In fact, he chose you before the world was, before the creation of the world. He chose you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made. <clears throat> Scripture says that when Jesus returns, those who are believers will live for eternity with him in heaven. That there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more weeping. That we will live forever with him. Scripture says this, that every good and perfect gift is from above. That anything good in our life was God thought. It was God that gave us. And let me tell you about the best gift is Jesus. He came to the earth. And listen, we don't have a Savior that can't sympathize with our struggles here. He was, yes, fully God, but he was fully man and tempted like us all. <clears throat> he lived for 30-plus years, not only in freedom, but he actually lived as a single. He can sympathize with it. He's not a God that looks from a distance and is scolding you to get it together or is shaming you or is beating up. Yes, he doesn't approve of our sexual sins. Yes, it breaks his heart, especially because it's affecting other people as well. But listen... We have a Savior who stepped in our shoes and can understand. And so how he approaches us on this issue is with understanding and love. Yes, truth, but also grace. Jesus came full of truth and grace. And listen, <clears throat> I don't care how bad your sin is, including in this area. I don't care what you've done. There's nothing that he didn't pay for in the cross. Don't hang on in shame to what Jesus already paid for. Jesus paid for it all. Jesus paid. He gave his life so that you and I can walk in freedom. Yes, he thinks this is a big deal. Yes, it breaks his heart. Yes, we ought to have a healthy fear of the Lord in this area. And yes, we ought to run to get the help we need today. And yes, at the same time, he is good and gracious and loving. It is who he is. There's a whole lot of God to be thankful for. There's a whole lot of goodness of God to bank our lives on and a whole lot of goodness of God to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Does that mean we'll never desire a spouse? No. Does that mean we won't ever have sexual desires? No. There's something godly and good in a healthy way about that. But ultimately, he will be the ultimate satisfier of our hearts. 